We're going to continue on to the reading of God's Word. Today's passage is in Romans 9.25 through 10.4, and that's on page 945 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll reply, thanks be to God. So Romans 9, verse 25. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her, and her who was beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the fact that we get to be here and worship you. We thank you um, that you chose to save us when you don't deserve to be saved at all. You showed us mercy when we deserve justice. We ask that you open our eyes and our ears to your word today and lift up Andrew as he preaches. Amen. So yeah, please go ahead and have a seat. Uh, (laughs) That wasn't awkward. So, (laughs) um, first I want to say like, um, it's, it is a privilege to be able to stand in front of you and deliver God's word. Uh, even Shelby reading it, I hope you felt the weight of what she was saying. Like, this is God talking to us. Um, and so one of the things that the word of God says is, uh, entrust the word of God to faithful men who will be able to teach it also. And so today, we're actually going to have uh, one of our deacons, uh, Deacon Andrew, he's going to deliver God's word this morning. Um, and he has proven uh, throughout his life, throughout his ministry, to be a faithful man of God, uh, and he has the Spirit of God upon him. So uh, we actually want to pray. This is the first time he's going to preach uh, in this context, uh, but he's not a rookie. I mean, you know, he's, he's good. <laughs> so uh, we actually want to pray for him uh, that, that the Spirit of God would be with him, and that uh, through Andrew, that we would be blessed on what God has to say. So if you wouldn't mind extending your hands toward him uh, as we pray for him and for the word of God this morning. Um, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word of truth. Uh, we pray for Andrew, uh, that you bind Satan um, against any kind of nervousness or uh, anything that would hinder uh, the clear presentation of your great grace. Uh, God, be with him. Be with your word as it pours out over your people, uh, and we look forward to you blessing us through Andrew this morning. Uh, thank you, God, for him. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shay. Yeah. 
All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, really a privilege to get to share God's word with you this morning, and uh, I just want to jump right in to this passage. The main point this morning is that righteousness can only be attained by grace through faith. Uh, righteousness can only be attained by grace through faith. Hopefully, already, there's a couple of questions going through your mind. The first one would be, well, what is righteousness? And, and that's an important, important term to define here. To be righteous means to always be and do what is right, with no contamination of wrong or evil. God is actually the perfect standard of righteousness. Everything he is in his being, everything he says, everything he does, every thought that he has, every action that he takes is completely right. So God is the standard of righteousness. God's righteousness is also seen in God's law. Uh, all of his laws are righteous. Uh, it actually says in Psalm 19.9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. But God's righteousness is also seen in God's son, who the scripture calls the righteous one. Um, and so that's what righteousness is, to be completely right and to do what is right 100% of the time. The second question that I hope you're asking is, do I really need righteousness? Do I really need this? The answer is that, yes, you must be and do what is right if you are going to be right with God. If you're going to be right with God, you must be and do what is right. Here's an illustration. Let's say you stole $50,000 worth of electronics from the city of Sparks and then drove over the hill and started pawning this stuff off in the Bay Area. But then you're caught. Are you going to be right with the city of Sparks? No. You probably don't want to show your face in town. That's the idea. You've broken the, the laws of the city and so you're no longer right with the city. They've got a warrant out for your arrest. When we break God's laws, he has a warrant out for our arrest. We're not good with him. We're not right with him. Because we've broken God's righteous laws, we're not right with him. But because he always does what is right, he has to punish our wrongdoing. He can't reward it. He can't just turn a blind eye and, I don't care that he, that he did you know, stole $50,000 of electronics, you know, he's not going to overlook the wrong things that we've done because he's just, he's right. He has to punish it. This means that although we were created to glorify God and enjoy him and live with him forever, by the unrighteous things that we've done, we've told God, I don't want that. We have to be and do what is right to be good with God. Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 that unless your righteousness, your goodness, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees who were the religious elite of their day, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer came up to Jesus and said, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus basically said, that's easy. Keep the commandments. <laughs> the problem is... <laughs> it's not easy. And Paul has already told us in this book of Romans chapter 3 that none is righteous, not even one. None is righteous. 
Isaiah in the Old Testament said the same thing. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds, are you ready for the punchline? Are like filthy rags. <laughs> Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have made a separation between us and God. Our sins have uh, put distance between us. We're no longer good with God because of our sins. Some of us, though, think, well, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect, but like I'm pretty decent. I've kept the vast majority of God's laws. The problem with that is Jesus' half-brother James tells us in the New Testament book that he wrote that you have to keep the entirety of God's law to be good with God. You can't just keep most of it. James actually says uh, that whoever keeps the entire law but yet breaks it in one point has become guilty of breaking it all. There's a unity to the law. It's like if you take a hammer to a window, you only hit the glass in one place, but the whole thing goes down. That's the way it is with God's law. We need God's level of righteousness to be good with God. We need God's standard of righteousness to be good with God. And the, the sobering reality is that without God's type of righteousness being possessed by us inwardly and outwardly, we will be justly damned and separated from God for all of eternity. I hope this leads us to asking a third question. How can I get the righteousness that God requires of me? My main point this morning is that righteousness can only be attained by grace through faith. And that comes right from this text. My first point, I'm going to have two points today. The first point is this. God graciously includes Gentiles as recipients of his righteousness. Um, this is seen starting in verse 25 of chapter 9. As indeed he, God the Father, says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. We see here in the first part of that passage I just read that Gentiles, which just means non-Jewish people, which is the vast majority of us in the room today, we are being invited into God's family. Um, this, is, this is incredible. God prophesied this through the prophet Hosea. Um, and Jesus also said something similar. In Matthew 8, 11, Jesus predicted this day. Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. God's going to be bringing people in from every direction into his family. And this is this is completely undeserved. This is all of grace. And, and if you've been with us from the beginning of this series in Romans, you'll know why. And you'll also know why if you know yourself. Because we were suppressing the truth that can be known about God from his creation. 
We weren't honoring God. We weren't giving thanks to God. We were actually worshiping and serving created things instead of the creator. We were finding our significance in them. We were devoting our our time and attention and resources to created things instead of devoting them to where they should be devoted. And so we are guilty. But look at the grace. Verse 26. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, now they're being called sons and daughters of the living God. That's grace. And look at the beautiful language used throughout verse 25 and and 26. Uh, These people, these non-Jews who were not God's people, now they're called my people. One of, one of us included in on our family. Uh, her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And then, like I said, in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, right there, without having to do anything miraculous, without having to join the Jewish faith, or, you know, without doing anything except putting their faith in Jesus, they are in that very spot, right where you are, called sons and daughters of the living God. You know, I was thinking of an illustration for this point, and adoption came to mind. You have a child who maybe was not beloved by their uh, mother and father, their birth mother and father, but then another individual or couple uh, decides to call them beloved and bring them into the family. And I think that that does illustrate the point. But let's be honest, babies are kind of cute and sweet, and, you know... So I don't know that that really fits the, the, the bill. I think the analogy that may be closer is if there was a, a homeless criminal living underneath a bridge who had personally committed crimes against you and your family, and you actually went down to that bridge and said, hey, man, come with me. I want to bring you home. I want to make you part of my family. I want to forgive you. I want to show love to you. You're one of us now. That's a little closer to what God has done in bringing us into his family. God loves to make outsiders insiders. The God of the Bible is a God who wants people to belong, and he has taken decisive action to make that a reality. Um, If your faith is in the Son of God, you don't need to struggle with feelings of rejection or acceptance because if your faith is in Jesus, God loves you as much as he loves his beloved son. God the Father said to his son Jesus while Jesus was on earth, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you're with Jesus, God the Father says those exact same words to you. Also, I think we need to realize that this is a unique window of opportunity to get in on God's family if you're a non-Jewish person. Literally for thousands of years, non-Jewish people sort of trickled into the family of God. There were some. Um, Rahab comes to mind. Ruth. There, There were others. But now the roles have actually been reversed. Now, Gentiles are swarming into the kingdom of God. Non-Jewish people are coming to him in droves while Jews are largely rejecting him to the point that the text basically says, if the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, 
we Jews would have become completely annihilated like Sodom and Gomorrah. So if you're a non-Jewish person, this is your window of opportunity. Run to Jesus in faith. If you're a Jewish person, realize that there's still a remnant, there's still a portion of, of people who have Jewish blood flowing through their veins who will be brought to faith in Jesus. So there's hope for you too. God uh, graciously includes Gentiles as recipients of his righteousness. My second main point this morning is this. God graciously gives his righteousness to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. God graciously gives his righteousness to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Let's go ahead and, and read the very next verse. This is chapter nine and verse 30. Uh, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Wow. Does that strike you as a little crazy? That non-Jewish people who were not pursuing righteousness, not even looking for it, not really wanting a right relationship with God, not wanting to follow God's laws, they have attained it. How? Well, it says it's a righteousness that is by faith. I think an illustration that may help us get what's going on here would be this. Let's say you walk to your mailbox tomorrow afternoon and there's a package there with your name on it. And you open it up and there in front of you sits an Olympic gold medal. And there's a little note in there that says, congratulations, you've won the gold medal for Olympic figure skating. And you think to yourself, I don't even own ice skates. <laughs> so you call the Olympic committee and you say, hey, I mean, I, this is a really cool medal. It looked great in my house. Um, but I don't even own ice skates. I think there's some mistake. And the committee says, nope, you, you won. That's the idea of what's going on here. Non-Jewish people, they weren't looking for God. They weren't seeking a right standing with God. And they got it. How? Well, I think there's really two reasons. I think we have to first of all say God chose them for this. If they weren't looking for it and then they got it, obviously it wasn't anything that they did to obtain it. So, but they did, they have to hear the, the gospel message because it says that they responded in faith. Uh, they've attained the righteousness that is by faith. And even faith, as we read earlier in that Ephesians 2 text, is a gift from God. So when these Gentiles heard the message about Jesus and how he died for their sins and could make them right with God, they're like, yeah, that sounds crazy, but I actually believe that. And then they are given God's level of righteousness. We need to talk about faith, though, because in our culture, faith is a word that's just kind of thrown around and doesn't honestly mean a whole lot to, to many of us because it's just like, oh yeah, you know, live, love, laugh, uh, faith, hope, and peace, and whatever. So um, we need to talk about faith. What is faith? Faith is not a vague feeling or belief that things are going to turn out well. Um, positive thinking is not biblical faith. Faith is trust. 
Faith is trust. It's the object of your faith that really matters, what you're putting your trust in. That's what really matters. Faith in faith won't save anyone. And faith in yourself won't save you either. Only faith in the sinless son of God will save you. Biblical faith is trust or confident expectation that Jesus is who he said he was, the sinless son of God, and that he did what he said he did. You're trusting that Jesus, as crazy as it sounds, came out of the glories of heaven and was born as a little baby, lived a perfect life, and then was put to death on a, on a Roman cross. I mean, the Romans, let's be honest, the Romans killed hundreds, if not thousands of people on crosses, but Jesus was one of those people. And then he was put in a tomb. Three days later, he miraculously came back to life again and then ascended back into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God. You actually, if you're putting your trust in Jesus, you actually believe that his life, his death, his resurrection, and his praying for you right now at the right hand of the Father is what makes you righteous, is what makes you good with God. That's biblical faith. Righteousness has always come through the channel of faith. We saw this in the example of Abraham in Romans 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. When we put our faith in Jesus, God credits that faith as righteousness. He makes us clean. He makes us good with him again. So we may ask at this point, aren't there other ways to be made right with God? I mean, let's be honest here. This sounds a little exclusive. And exclusivism is definitely a sin especially in 24th century uh, northern Nevada. Um, and so let's look at that together. Paul, Paul kind of sifts through three potential ways that people think they can be made right with God. Three ways that people think they can become righteous. I'm going to call them fatal attempt number one, number two, and number three. So let's look at fatal attempt number one. It's in verse 31 through 33. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So, the first fatal attempt is to try to keep God's laws through your own efforts, to try to keep God's laws through your own efforts. The problem with this is that there's more than just 10. And I think if, if we brought any one of you up to the stage right now and said, quote from memory, the 10 commandments in order, very few of us could even do that. So like, we're not even aware of what God's laws are. There's actually over 600 of them that, that have been counted, I guess. And so you have, to, you have to keep all of those laws uh, in your attempt to be made righteous. And theoretically, this would work if you could, from womb to tomb, keep all 600 and whatever of God's laws on the inside as well as the out. 
Moses said that the man who does these things shall live by them. And so theoretically, if you were perfect your entire life, it would work. The problem is that we all strike out like for sure by age two. Um, (laughs) I have a two-year-old and I know that as sweet as she is, like she's definitely struck out on being perfect. (laughs) I'm sure I struck out like before age one. So um, that's just, that's just how it goes. And going back to to Jesus' half-brother's words, uh, James, he says like, even if you keep the whole law, but break it in that one point, just take the hammer and hit the glass in the one little corner, you're guilty of breaking it all. And so none of us is capable of keeping all of God's laws. The law was actually meant to lead you to Christ, the one who did keep all of God's laws. This is explicitly stated in the New Testament. Galatians 3.24 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Justified is just another word that means made righteous, made right with God. You're good with God. You're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if righteousness could be attained through law keeping, why the heck did Jesus die on the cross? It would be a worthless attempt Uh, A worthless activity for Jesus to to go through all the pain and agony and torture of the cross if we could just kind of make ourselves good with God without all that. The cross screams at us that you can't keep God's laws and your sin has to be punished, so we're putting it on Jesus and he's paying for it. And that is offensive to our pride. And and Paul, uh, Paul says this, Uh, Right here in in verse 33, he calls Jesus a stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him, this stone of stumbling, this rock of offense, will not be put to shame. The stone of stumbling is Jesus. The Jews are, are going along trying to keep God's laws as best as they can. And they realize that they're not doing the greatest. And they see Jesus. In the law, oh, no, 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 I don't want Jesus. I'm doing pretty good by myself, trip. And they fall right over Jesus. The law was meant to lead them to Jesus so that they could put their faith in in the coming Savior. But instead, Jesus became an offense to them because, because of their pride. Jesus, when they saw him in the law, said, you can't. And their pride said, ouch. Uh, I can, I'm going to keep trying. And they continue trying to run. And the whole time they're just stumbling and falling over God's laws as we all do. So we either trip over Jesus or we take him as the foundation stone of our life and build our lives upon him as living stones. Those are the two choices. Um, I love the name of our church because it's basically a statement of, yep, Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of everything that we are. If, if he gets removed from our life, we topple. Uh, Jesus, whoever puts their faith in him, uh, will not be put to shame. I think that's referring specifically to the day of judgment. 
on the final day of judgment, you will not experience shame if you're with Jesus. You'll experience blessing and joy and reward and acceptance. So fatal attempt number one is to try to keep all of God's laws in your own efforts, by your own strength and power. Fatal attempt number two is to try to be really zealous for God. Let's take a look at this in chapter 10, verses one and two. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is for Israel, is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Israel was ignorant in that they didn't know that righteousness was a free gift of God. Some of them may have been willingly ignorant because the law does speak to this. I mean, like if you read Isaiah 53, it's very clear that somebody's coming to make many righteous through his suffering. But they were ignorant of this, but yet they, they still had zeal. They were fervent. They were enthusiastic. They were passionate about God. Paul is really a, a prime example of this. His zeal for God led him to do crazy things. He actually tried to wipe out the church before Jesus showed up and converted him. That's how extremely zealous he was. Paul actually uses that word, extremely zealous, in describing his former life in Judaism. Um, But you know what? It is possible to be very sincere, but to be sincerely wrong. And, and, and that's what the problem is with this zeal. Like Paul knew, looking back, man, yeah, I had passion. I, I, I had the energy, the stamina, the drive. I wanted to serve God, but he wasn't doing it the right way. He was not doing it according to knowledge is, is the phrase used here. He wasn't doing it according to truth. And so it was all fatal and it actually was counterproductive when jesus showed up to him he's like why are you persecuting me oh my goodness so zeal cannot save us many professing christians even i feel can sometimes feel like they're earning god's favor through their zeal for him um, my goodness, I mean, every time the church doors are open, like I'm there and, and I'm in the city for the city and, and I, I volunteer you know, at my church and I even help out in LS Kids. Like I'm really zealous. <laughs> None of that zeal is, is doing you any favors with God. Only faith in Jesus gives you a right standing with God. And there are other religions even popular religions in our valley, such as Mormonism and Catholicism, that both teach in their official doctrines that salvation is a combination of our good deeds and Jesus' saving grace. There is no combination according to the scriptures. It's all Jesus. Your works are like filthy rags. And so some of the most zealous people I know, to be quite frank, are Mormons. And they have a passion for God. And and they live a life that expresses their zeal. But unless they turn to Jesus completely, the Jesus of the Bible, and turn to him completely in faith and say, only your works and your death are what makes me right with God, they will not receive the righteousness of God. 
Our own efforts cannot achieve that. What should we do about these people? We should pray for them. That's Paul's heart here. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I would love to see some zealous people in our valley who are not yet fully trusting Christ to fully trust Christ. Because when a zealous person trusts Christ, look out. (laughs) Um, Let's pray that God does that, that he takes some zealous people from other faiths or beliefs and and says, you're mine, you're coming to my family. The third fatal attempt at trying to get good with God is to establish your own righteousness. This is in chapter 10, verse three and four. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you see that phrase back in verse three, seeking to establish their own They were ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, so they sought to establish their own righteousness. This may be our biggest threat today in this room. Most of us are not going around with a checklist of the Ten Commandments and being like, yep, didn't covet today, honored father and mother, didn't murder. We're not so much... We're not so much interested in trying to keep God's standard of righteousness. We've made our own standard of righteousness. After all, I'm a good dad, a decent husband, a good worker. I'm not on welfare. I love my neighbors. And I even use my big diesel truck to pull people out of the ditch when they get stuck. (laughs) I'm pretty good. I'm not perfect, but God's got to be pretty happy with me. I'm working hard. I'm trying to do a good job. And, and we can get this vision, this idea that when we show up in heaven, here's the work scale. And over here are your good works, and over here are your bad works. Oh, he was a good dad. Oh, man, he pulled people out of the ditch. Oh, but he was a little covetous of his neighbor's bigger pickup. (laughs) The reality is that there never was and there never will be a works scale in heaven. And if one ever happened to show up in heaven, it would be immediately thrown back into the pit of hell from which it came. That is the reality. God is not interested in your works. He's interested in Jesus' works. Are you or are you not a wretch? If you are not a wretch, then there is no amazing grace for you. That's the reality of it. The amazing grace is only for the person that acknowledges, I am a wretch. I have no business being right with you. But I receive Jesus because he has always been right with you from day one. Well, there wasn't a day one. They've always been together. <laughs> but that's, that's the reality of it. Some of you may think, oh yeah, I'm a wretch, so I've put my trust in Jesus. 
but your actions speak louder than your words. We say things like, they're such a good person, they shouldn't have gotten that disease. Or on the flip side, we can think things like, obviously they weren't that good of a person because they did get that disease. We say things or think things like, I've been so faithful to God lately, like something good's got to be coming my way. Or on the flip side, we can think, man, I've already failed on my Lent commitments. Like God's probably shaking his head at me. All of those types of thinking, all of those attitudes prove that we are hell-bent on trying to establish our own righteousness by the good and healthy things that we do. Nothing that we do, even the good and healthy things that we do, nothing that we do earns us right standing with God. Only Jesus, only Jesus. If someone were to come up to you on the street and say, what makes you a good person? What would you tell them? If you start naming off things like what I listed earlier, oh, I'm a good parent, you know, a good spouse, I pull people out of the ditch, whatever. That's scary. Hopefully, if someone were to come up and ask you, what makes you a good person? Jesus, (laughs) I'm not a good person, but I'm trusting in the one good person and his name is Jesus. John Calvin said, the first step to obtaining the righteousness of God is to renounce our own righteousness. And we are free to do that because of verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For everyone who receives him, for everyone who puts their faith in him, Jesus has put an end to trying to get good with God through either his law, God's law, or your own standards of righteousness. How did this happen? For many years, my view of the gospel was this. I believe that through Jesus' death on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin, and so now I was forgiven, and I would go to heaven when I died. That's true, and that's good, but that's a truncated view of the gospel. I basically had the idea that Jesus could have shown up on Thursday as a grown adult man, shown up on this planet on Thursday, been crucified on Friday, resurrected Sunday morning, and gone back into heaven, and the whole thing could have been taken care of in about four or five days. That's not true, because God is not just looking for forgiveness of sins, he's actually looking for a life perfectly lived. Jesus from his birth, lived that perfect life. Um, I, I, I think that we really need to, to focus in on this because through Jesus' perfect life, we are seen as having a perfect life before God. Let me explain how this works by reading 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus, who committed no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was an exchange that happened. All of our sins, all of our unrighteousness was put onto Jesus and he paid for it at the cross. Praise God. But the other half of that exchange is that Jesus' perfect life 
was given to me. It was imputed to me. Imputed is, is, it's a word I hope we don't lose. It's an awesome word. It basically means given. It's, it's that Jesus' perfect life is now seen as belonging to me through faith. It's attributed to me, ascribed to me, or credited to me. God thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to me through faith. This should make us love Christ so much more deeply than we do because he followed God's laws from birth all the way until his death and he did that out of love for us. You know experientially how hard it is to keep all of God's laws. As a child, Jesus never threw a tantrum. He never talked back or disrespected Joseph or Mary. He never disobeyed them. He was never mean to his younger siblings. And as an adult, Jesus never gossiped. He never cheated on his taxes. He never had one too many drinks and crossed the line into drunkenness. He never looked at a woman with lust. He never worried. He never cussed somebody out. Nothing profane or crude ever came from his mouth. He never coveted someone's house or neighborhood. He never looked at someone and thought, ew. And he never was sinfully prideful because he hadn't done those things. But it's not just what he never did, it's also what he did. God's law doesn't just say, you shall not. God's law also says, you shall And I could read a long list, but I'll just summarize it by giving you the two greatest commandments. Jesus always loved his neighbor as himself, and he always loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, the entirety of his soul, his entire mind, and with the whole of his strength. And he did all of this just as perfectly on the inside as on the out. If we had... Kyle and I were talking about this earlier in the week. If we had a t-shirt that flashed our thoughts to everybody, we would never go out in public. <laughs> Seriously, like, can you see that? Like, lust, 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 lust. Covetous, 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 covetous. Judgmental, 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 judgmental. Jesus could have worn that t-shirt every day of his life and been perfectly at home. Yeah, but he was God. Of course he was sinless. Actually, the scripture says that he was made like you in every way except for sin. We attain righteousness because he attained righteousness. So in closing, I want to encourage every one of you to submit to the righteousness that Jesus has won for you. Don't try, don't try to tr- keep God's laws perfectly to make yourself right with God. That is so crushing. And quite frankly, even to try to maintain your own 21st century Northern Nevada standard of what is right and good is crushing. Tap out. I submit to your righteousness that was won by your son's perfect life and death in my place. 
Love Jesus. Love Jesus, Christian. It's because of his perfect life that God can look at you and say, righteous, good with me. One of my children. I think uh, there's really, from what I could tell, there's about three responses to a message like this. The first one is indifference. Eh, I just don't really believe that stuff. For you, I pray that God sends the hound of heaven after you and says, make that one my own. Go get him. Bring him into the family. Give him belief. I want that person to be part of my people. The second response is for those of you that have received God's righteousness as a result of faith. I hope that you love Jesus more as you see how he lived that perfect life and that his perfect life is then given to you freely through faith. Wow. But I also hope that you root out and destroy pockets of self-righteousness that remain. And can I say that the first helps you with the second? As you love Jesus more, it'll be easier to crush out those pockets of self-righteousness that remain in each one of our lives. And, and especially the third response, especially for you, if you today feel that you're in need of God's righteousness, that something that, that the scripture has said or that's come out of my mouth has just made you realize how much you need Jesus, that you cannot be right with God apart with him, run to Jesus in faith. Jesus, you have done it all. You're the one who makes me good with God. I receive you. Do it today. Tap out. Let's pray. Father God, you in your mercy and grace have been so kind to us. You could have just let us do our own thing and given us what our sins deserve, but you gave us mercy and grace in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for opening this up to Gentiles. Um, for non-Jewish people to be part of your family. I'm one of them, and, and I'm just so appreciative of that. Thank you that we can, can just get rid of the weight that comes from trying to be right with you through law-keeping. Thank you that we can just be totally at home with you because we're with Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.